Uh, we are making our way through Luke chapter, well, we made it to Luke chapter 18. We're going to get down to verse 17 um, this evening. So verses 1 through 17 is what we're going to talk about. And the title is, Know the Lord. Know the Lord. And we're going to see three different interchanges uh, in Jesus' teaching and ministry. He's going to give a parable. He's going to interact with a couple of people. He's going to give uh, examples. And there are some things that we learn about his character. There's some things we learn about his nature. We must know these things about him. If we're going to come to him and walk with him and, and commune with him, we must know these things that we're going to learn. And we can't let tradition or social norms or even our own sense of, I've got it I, all together, don't worry, Lord, I can handle this, to skew who the Lord is and how we should come to Him. We must let Him define the terms by which we come to Him. And we can, we can easily fall into tradition. Now, here's the thing about tradition. Tradition is not always bad. Tradition is not always bad. There are certain traditions we have you know, here at Calvary Chapel Lynchburg. There are certain traditions that they have down the road. And there's just the way you go about doing things. That's fine. It's when tradition becomes more important than the Word of God or it keeps people from being able to come to the Lord. That's when tradition is problematic. And so we, are, we have to be careful of that and um, what society says they want from us what they want our faith to look like. It doesn't matter what they want it to look like. We fear God, not man. And so we must hear him and let him speak into our lives. So we begin at verses 1 through 5. And um, there's going to be, again, I said three interchanges, and probably two-thirds of our time is going to be spent in these first five verses, and we'll move quickly through the rest of the verses. So uh, actually the first eight verses. But we begin there at verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was a certain city, in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear, the unjust, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith, really find faith on the earth? So that's the section I want to read. I think I've got that. Yeah, the, actually, that should be verses 1 through 8. Okay, so uh, not 1 through 5. 1 through 8. Know the Lord will hear and act. And that's what we see in this parable, this, this, this story of this woman, this widow, and this unjust judge. And Jesus is going to use that to say, listen, I'm going to hear. I'm going to move into action. I'm going to do what I need to do. But we begin a tighter look at verse 1, and that we have an obligation to pray in faith. Uh, men always ought to pray and not lose heart. <clears throat> and I think every one of us can understand why Jesus gave us this exhortation, because all of us know what it's like to get stirred up to pray, and then we move along, and over time, we begin to lose heart. 
Maybe we lose heart because the thing we're praying for, the answer is delayed in coming. Or maybe something happens in a, in a way different than what we expected. Or maybe we just get, we get preoccupied with other things. But the Lord says we ought to always pray and not lose heart. Prayer is simply communicating with God. It's talking to the Lord. It's talking to the Lord in that very formal sense when, as we pray, you know, our Father or dear Lord or Lord, I come to you and we do that. But it's also those informal moments where we're just driving down the road or the text comes in and we're like, oh, Lord Jesus, step in, intervene right now. And it's those prayers that we're praying. Um, they don't have to have a, you know, an introduction and a conclusion. Um, keep the conversation going all day long, right? And, and so we pray and we talk to the Lord and and, and it doesn't have to be something that's like a formal sit down, you know, kneel, fold your hands, bow your head, close your eyes. Um, you, if you're driving, we don't want you to do any of those things. We want you to just call upon the Lord with your eyes wide open, all right? Both hands on the wheel. And, and we've all done that. And it's this idea that we should always be in this attitude of prayer. In the book of Nehemiah, we see uh, Nehemiah praying and petitioning the Lord for his countrymen. Um, their, their walls were broken down. There was all kinds of trouble. The, the, the remnant that had returned, uh, the refugees, if you will, that had come back into Israel to restart things over again after the exile. Things were not going well, and he began to pray, and he began to fast. And he had a very formal way in which he did that. And then one day he came in so heavy-hearted, not really under, you know, remembering his place before the king. And he says, what's wrong with you? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. What's going on with you? And he said, well, let me tell you. And he says, and he prayed. I guarantee you he, there was no fasting. There was no kneeling. There was no you know, folding of the hands or looking up and down. He just prayed within himself. And so, oh, Lord, show me favor. And he spoke to the king and called about. So when we talk about men ought to always pray... I understand that prayer is simply communicating with the Lord. And whether it's a very formal way in which we do that, or whether it's a corporate way in which we do that, whether it is driving down the road or responding to uh, you know, a brother or sister as they're telling you what's going on, and you're just like, oh, Lord Jesus, please comfort them. Help. And it's, just, it's just an overflow of conversation. It's also our worship. It's interesting how we make such a distinction between our worship and our prayer. And I don't know that, I mean, I, I understand, you know, we think of prayer, petition, and, and, um, and, you know, supplication. Okay, that's great. But so much of our praise and worship that we are, we're singing is also full of supplication, isn't it? And so uh, it's, it's all of this together, and it's a communication with the Lord. And Jesus wants us to be in that attitude of praying without ceasing. And so... You have opportunity in your own life to do that. You've got to just you've got to make certain you carve it out and you protect it and you go for it. You got to make certain that when things come to you, um, circumstances of need or whatever, don't just think I ought to pray because that's not praying. Thinking I really ought to pray is not praying. Pray, pray. Ask the Lord. Well, the Lord knows I don't have to pray. No, you have to pray. The Lord wants you to pray and ask Him. And so 
don't just think about this situation. Don't just tell people you're going to pray. Actually engage in that act of calling upon the Lord who is able. And we ought not to lose heart, he says. Um, ought not to lose heart. He doesn't want us to get you know, passionate for prayer for a week. He wants us to have a lifetime of prayer. He wants us to be those men and women that are, that are living our life of calling upon the Lord. And so you know, design your life, if you will. Pick out those times and, and evaluate and ask, am I praying? You know, what is it that the Lord said to the disciples um, when um, he was about to go to the cross and he had said, let's go pray, um, and they kept falling asleep? He says, could you not pray one hour? I mean, the Lord, you know, that just here's one hour to really get serious about praying. And find those times where you can dedicate to prayer. Be in season and out of season. The Nehemiah-type prayers where something comes up and you're just like, Lord Jesus, give me favor right now before this person. I'll speak to their heart. Give me uh, peace in my heart, Lord, whatever it might be. But don't lose heart. Finish to the end your prayer. Finish to the end that season of praying and asking those Lord, the Lord for those things that you have need of. And so um, find the corporate prayer life. Find your own private prayer life. The you know, brothers and sisters, your home, where you are not losing heart. You're not giving up. And he's going to give a parable that is intended to encourage us to uh, endure in prayer. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I'll be quick to say it. I, need, I have need of endurance in prayer. I need to be one that is faithful to follow through with prayer. Not just start prayer, but to be continuing to do that. And I, I think that all of us would say, yeah, that's exactly what is needed. But what is it that causes us to lose heart and to stop praying? What causes us to lose heart? Well, I think one that a lot of us would probably say is, I mean, I just busyness of life. Or as it says in Scripture, the cares of this world. You know, just the things, not, not sinful things. I just get so occupied. And so the busyness of life can begin to crowd out, <clears throat> uh, you know, my zeal in prayer. Maybe a lack of faith. He's never going to hear me. He's never going to answer me. I've prayed before and he hasn't answered and I, he's probably not going to answer now, so I'm going to give up. And so I think a lack of faith can be one. And that's, that's when we get in the parable, that's what Jesus is going to say. He goes, well, I find faith when I return. You can see how closely connected the idea of prayer and faith is. I mean, we're talking about prayer and petitioning, and Jesus says, well, I find faith when I return. And the idea is that people that are full of faith will pray. If you lack faith, you're not going to pray. But if you're full of faith, you will pray. And, you know, we've talked about this, you know, recently. I'm not going to, you know, go, go back into this all again. But, but how, much pray, how much faith do you have, need to have in order to pray? Well, I think just that, enough to pray. Enough to call upon the Lord and ask Him. Can we grow in our faith? Oh, absolutely. But let's remember that Jesus is the object of our prayer, not more faith. So, busyness, a lack of faith. Number three, a delay in answer. 
And so we don't see the answer coming. We've asked the Lord, and we think it's got to happen. I, I am, I've, I've done this. I know you've done this too. Lord, you know, this thing has got to be answered by this time right here. Do you see this deadline, Lord? That's for real. I'm not making it up. It's a real deadline. Because things are all going to crumble and fall apart, and, you know, the, the carriage is going to turn back into a pumpkin. It's all going to get bad at that deadline, Lord. You have got to show up by that time. And he comes, and it's like the clock just stops. It's like, well... I mean, if normally this would have turned back into a pumpkin by now, but Lord, I mean, you've got, you've got to, you know, you've got to do something. And then it just, he continues to give, um, you know, life to that place where we're waiting to see him work and move. And so rather than things coming to a, a screeching halt, the Lord just says, I'll extend it. I'll give you more grace. I'm going to allow the circumstances to, to continue to be able to, to stay just as they are. And, and so we, we, we can time things incorrectly. It just, and I've used this illustration many times before, but the children of Israel, um, uh, you know, I'm sure they never thought that their sandals were going to last for 40 years. No mom thought they were going to last for 40 years, you know. The cobbler didn't think they were going to last for 40 years. I mean, you see what I'm saying? They, nobody thought they were going to last for 40 years. They, you know, they just don't, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, it doesn't work like that unless the Lord says, I'm going to let those things be the best pair of sandals you've ever owned. And so he just, he has a way of just stretching things, right? He has a way of just taking us to the end, but he can extend over time. And, and so we can see a delay in him answering our prayer and we can begin to lose heart. Um, busyness, I have down here other priorities, which I mean, it's very similar to the busyness, but there's just other things that begin to have a, a higher priority on, on our list. And you know, maybe it's a work thing. Maybe it's a family thing. Maybe it's a hobby thing. Maybe it's an education you know, crisis. And it's just that becomes the what, where all of our attention comes. There's many different things, you know, that can take us away. Just maybe it's something that's, you know, it's, we want something a little more exciting than prayer. You know, we want something that's a little more engaging, a little bit more, um, you know, fast-moving, fast-paced, and calling upon the name of the Lord and waiting upon Him. And we, we become those that are, um, where we seek after pleasure. And it's that, pleasure we got to have some kind of high experience uh, and if we don't have some kind of high emotional experience then we just lose heart and we give up on it but you know I want you to think about the things in life that are really important I want you to think about the things that you have accomplished um, in this life whether it be career or family or you know, maybe some some talent you have think through I, I'm certain that didn't happen overnight I want you to think through all of the the months and years and decades it has taken you to get to the place where you are. Those things were probably not high emotional moments. You know, it takes you, you know, 20 years maybe to really just lock in and you become, you know, um, just the sought after person in your profession. It's like you really, you know how to do it. You're excellent. You are so skilled at that. But, you know, if you go back over the last 20 years, yeah, I mean, it, you're not going to find some, you know, long line of exciting things taking place and every day was a thrill. I mean, it's just going to be doing the job day after day, you know, when you didn't feel like it, when you felt a little sick, when things weren't going right, when you failed, and all of those things are what get you to that place. 
That's true in just about every area of life. And so when it comes to the disciplines of the Christian life, we must be diligent. We must be diligent and not allow ourselves to be moved. Well, that really wasn't all that exciting. There's a lot of things that aren't exciting in life that we have to do. But lest I go too far down the road in that illustration, encountering God certainly has to be a, an exciting thing, a worthwhile event. And so make it your pursuit in prayer to encounter God, not to get what you want. If you're just in prayer to get what you want, that is usually where we end up giving up. Well, it didn't come. It didn't happen. So be careful. These are the things that can just cause you to lose heart in prayer. Now, we read that, that parable there, and um, we see this persistent widow. And this, this parable reminds us really of that reluctant neighbor who was asleep, and his friend comes and says, hey, I've got people that have come. You know, Get up, get up. And he's like, I'm not going to get up. It's late. Go away. But he keeps on banging on the door. It became easier for him to get up and give the person what he needed than it was to endure the knocking on the door. It's like, oh, he would have been gone by now. And so he finally gets up and he gives him what he needs. And, and this parable is very similar in the sense that the, the, the persistence in petitioning brings about a result. Now here's the thing. We read this parable and we're like, yikes. I mean, what is God like? I mean, he's like a unjust judge. Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, there's an argumentation that is very common, um, and that is the argument from the, le- from the lesser to the greater. And so in here you have this lesser judge who's in a place to give an answer. And this lesser judge is willing to do it. If that which is least and even unjust is willing to do that, how much more, right, will the greater Lord give and answer the prayers to those who petition and ask of him? So Jesus is not trying to give us a character sketch of the Father or of himself. He's just saying, listen, I mean, you can, some people will not want to give an answer, but if you're persistent, they'll give you the answer. And um, how much more? How much more will your father answer when you call? And so that's kind of the idea that was going on. Now, we know this guy did not fear God nor regard man, and Jesus says he was an unjust judge. So those are three things about this judge that we know. Not a good guy. This is a guy that, um, and it was common that judges would only hear cases if they were paid off. And um, so a lot of the assistants would be around there, and as the, you know, the court traveled into town and the judge is there, people would begin to come up to the assistants and say, I've got this case, I've got this case. Say, yeah, I'm sure he's really busy. I mean, how much is it worth it to you to get this case? You know, and they would begin to bribe people. And so there was a, there was a lack of justice with this judge and, and this widow who um, we would assume had very little resources, had nothing to bribe with, didn't have any influence. She didn't have a husband. She doesn't have a brother or father that's going 
And in that society, in that culture, it was the men that were going to move things, and it was the men that were going to get things done. And yet, she is not giving up. And she's coming. Um, and she is being very persistent um, with this man who does not regard her, um, doesn't regard God, and he is a corrupt individual. How disheartening that would be, right? Is to know that this person has the power to make things right, and yet they don't care unless I give them money. And it is a sad day when um, corruption begins to find itself into uh, law enforcement or into judges or politicians, and it's been a, <laughs> it's not like it's a new thing, right? But it's, it's, it's something that re- just it troubles us all so deeply when those that are um, supposed to have blinders on, right, and not, you know, uh, be looking at, at, at a person and saying, I'm going to favor you, I'm going to favor this, you know, just justice is going to rule the day when that no longer happens. And that's this guy. And so this woman finds herself in a desperate place where somebody has done something against her and um, she's asking for help. And this guy's like, nah, not going to do it. She's probably not even making it into um, to appear before him. And in, in this section that we read, verses 3, 5, and 7, um, there's a sense of vindication. Um, and, and verse 8 as well. So four times... Uh, the theme of vindication appears designating and showing us, communicating to us, this was a serious problem that the widow had. This is no small you know, infraction, misdemeanor. It's, a, it's some kind of high crime. It is meant to communicate a serious um, problem, we would say felony, that has been committed, and he's trying to get the, or she's trying to get the judge. To listen. Now look at verse 3. Um, it says, Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him. She came um, is the, a word in the Greek that is in the imperfect tense, which means this she kept on coming. Again, you know, aorist is a snapshot picture of an event that happened in the past. You stare at the photo, that's kind of an idea of aorist. Um, Watching a, uh, you know, some video you re- recorded of a past event, that's the idea that's communicated with the imperfect. In other words, it's ongoing motion. It's something that she did repeatedly. And she came repeatedly. She kept on coming over and over. She didn't just come once. She came, but the, 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 the language, the, the grammar is such that it's like she was in a continual state of coming. And then in verse 5, we read um, that the judge gave in for fear of being wearied by her. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. Again, look at verse 5. Um, uh, lest by her continual, uh, continuing, uh, continual coming, she weary me. The word for weary is a Greek word that was used uh, to depict a swollen face as a result of a boxing match. So, I mean, the idea is like she's coming and she goes, please help, please help, please help, you know. And she is just doing that. And, and now this guy's like, man, she's going she's gonna to give me a bad-looking face in front of all of these people because there's this widow who won't leave me alone. You know, so she probably is just, you know, 
She's not being led into the tent or into the circle, but that's not preventing her from yelling outside. You know, whatever you want to imagine she's yelling, please, justice, justice, I'm a widow. And everybody starts to feel really uncomfortable. And he is picking up that everybody's feeling very uncomfortable about this lady. And so, um, you know, it's the idea of being attacked. It's the idea of, of, of being uh, bludgeoned so that you know, he literally has a swollen face. He's like, I, you know. So he, he doesn't want to look that way. And so he finally decides that he will move into action and he will hear her case and make things right. So uh, she is persistent. She is not giving up. She is not going away. You don't want to see me? Then I'm just going to yell louder. Um, the further you push me out, the louder I'm going to yell. You're going to hear my voice no matter what. You might not ever see me but you're not going to forget me. And that is this widow um, who's coming. So in verses 6 through 8, Jesus interprets the parable. And again, we read it, but let's read it again. Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? So he may... There might be a tarrying for this, but, but if this guy is going to do it, this unjust judge is going to answer, then certainly I am going to hear you when you call. Now, in verse 7, if you look closely there, it says, And shall God not avenge his own? Now, we read here, and we just have one negative. We have not, just the word not. The, I'm reading from the New King James, so it's the one, two, fourth Fourth word in, and shall God not. And we just see one negative there. But actually, in the Greek language, it's a double negative. And it's, it's a, anybody can pronounce these two Greek words. It's ou and me. Ou me. It is the strongest form of negation that you can construct in the uh, Greek language. You can't do it. So actually, the way it could be translated is not know. Now, that's improper for us to say it like that, so we don't. But in the Greek, it's, it's emphatic. This is never, ever going to happen. Not know. And will not God absolutely bring about justice? That's kind of the, the communicating of the idea. So Jesus is trying to get the uh, rhetorical response. of like, you know, of course the Lord is going to step in. Of course God is going to um, you know, help this situation. So God desires to answer our prayers. And he says, we keep on reading there as we go through this section, that he's going to do so speedily. In verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. So whose idea is it that people would come and pray and petition God for the things that they have need of? Is that man's idea or is it God's idea? It is God's idea that you would come before him and you would petition him for those things that you have need of. And that in petitioning him, you can have this assurance that he's going to answer so you won't lose heart. It's his idea that you would come and he is most assuredly going to answer your prayer so don't lose heart in your prayer. Be a people, be a man, be a woman of prayer. 
But our minds go to this word speedily, and we get hung up there, don't we? Speedily? Speedily. I don't know how fast speedily is to God, but I've been praying for some things for years in my life, and they have not come yet. I want to quote to you, um, well, I'm not going to read it word for word, but I'm going to reference um, uh, from James Edwards, and I've referred to this, this commentary. <clears throat> I would have to say that if you want to get a good commentary on the Gospel of Luke, I have fallen in love. I don't think I've ever read anything this author had written before, but um, it's uh, James Edwards, The Gospel According to Luke, and it is a phenomenal um, a commentary. It, it, it gets a little technical, but it's one that actually the guy knows it so well, he makes it accessible for anybody to read it and understand it. So even when he goes deep, he's, he knows it so well, he's able to keep the cookies on the lower shelf, so to speak. So what he says of this word um, for quickly or speedily is that there are four instances where this word is used, and it has a definition one, two, three, four kind of a meaning, right? Just because you a word means um, stop, you know, um, out in the traffic, doesn't always mean that stop is going to be translated is going to mean the exact same thing. Based upon context, that word stop can mean different things, um, and and so with any word, with any word in the in the uh, in the Greek language or any language. Context is most important. So a lot of times we'll, we'll say things like this. Well, what does the Greek say? You know, what does it mean in the Greek? You have you know, a debate over something. This is age-old debate. Well, what does the Greek say? I will guarantee you that 99.9% .9 of the time, going into the Greek is not going to help you solve the problem if it is a debate that's been around for ages in the church. Because what you're going to find is that the, the people are going to look at the context. They're going to come up with maybe different ideas. They're going to look at the context differently. But it is good to know that there are different meanings. Um, so I'm not going to go into all the detail he does, but he gives four words um, for intakai, um, is the Greek word for speedily, intakai. And it, it can mean immediately. And that's kind of what we think of when we hear it, right? Immediately. You ask and it's immediately done. Or, um, and there's uh, four instances of that. Six instances of the word soon. Immediately or soon. And those, have, those are related to time, very much so, right? If you say soon or immediately, that's related to time. But there's another way in which it can be used. There's three times where this word is translated suddenly. Or it, can, it, has, it carries the idea of suddenly. So when it happens, it happens real fast. The fourth way in which it's used, and he cites six different times, and he's looking at the, uh, not only the New Testament Greek, but he's looking at the Old Testament Septuagint and how it was used in the Old Testament. And he cites six examples where this word in Takai can be translated or carries the idea of surely. Surely. So, he argues, and I will quote, he says, Nevertheless, the rendering certainly or surely, which is frequently attested with the semantic domain of intakai, seems most appropriate to the sense of the parable. So his take on this, and I don't, I'm sure others would, would have a different take, but his take on this is that the way to read speedily is to read it certainly or assuredly, or you can count on it. 
that the Lord is going to answer. Um, so, I mean, you, context, you can, you can, people can argue um, for uh, immediately. However, it does seem that the phrase of verse 7, though he bears long with them, gives us a sense of certainty or surely, because there's going to be time. So when we petition the Lord for things, it doesn't always happen immediately. Has anybody ever noticed that in their life besides me? And like me, you probably are wanting immediately. But also like me, there are probably some really powerful moments in your prayer life that you can observe now that months or years or even decades have passed that you're like, Lord, thank you that you didn't answer it when I asked for it. You know, timing is everything, isn't it? I mean, you know, a good comedian has the sense of timing and how to set things up. And the Lord has, I'm not saying he's a comedian, but he has a great sense of timing. He knows exactly when to bring something to pass. He knows exactly. You know, the Bible talks about how um, the prayers of the saints are gathered together in this bowl up in heaven, right? And, and some have suggested this bowl be that, that the incense being representative of uh, our prayers being represented by incense and how our prayers come in and it's like the Lord throws incense into that bowl. And he's like, it will be sweet, but it's going to take some time. At the right time, I will make it sweet and it's going to be beautiful. And you might be in one of those places where the, you feel like it's in delay. And delay may not be the right word to, to use. It might be, I'm making it right. I'm making it so that when I bring it to pass, it will bring the most glory to my kingdom. It will do the most good in people's life. And it will be the best for you. And we have to trust the Lord in this. We have to have faith. We have to be those that are like, I trust you, Lord. I've asked you. I've called upon you because you've told me to. I'm not just coming up with a new idea to beg of you to hear my prayer and answer it. This is what you're already committed to. So I'm being obedient to you and I'm bringing it. And Lord, if you, if you wait, if you tarry long, then that is your business. But I'm going to keep praying and I'm going to keep asking and I'm going to keep looking. I, I want to just throw this out quickly. And you, some of you are going to want to ask me about it. But I'm just going to throw it out quickly for you to chew on. Maybe we'll come back to it at another time. I believe there are certain times when the Lord has spoken to me. And I don't know, I don't know if I've got a great verse for it. But I just where I've been petitioning, 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 petitioning. And the Lord is just like, okay, I've heard you. You don't need to ask me again. I've heard you and I will answer this in the right time. And, and I just kind of like, all right. I'm going to just move on. I've, it's in the hands of the Lord. And I've seen the Lord bring those things back later. Now, listen, I, we're talking about being persistent in prayer and asking. And so we should learn that there's a time to pray. But I believe that there's those moments where the Lord knows that it's like almost our persistence almost becomes like a moment of anxiety for us. Like we pray, and rather than finding relief in the prayer, it's like we're getting all keyed up again in our prayer. And it's and just like the Lord's like, I've heard you, it's good. Just trust me now. I've heard you. You don't, you don't have to ask me again. I, I've got it written down. I know it. It's gonna, I'm going to take care of it, Troy. And I have seen the Lord come through and answer those things. And so 
Yes, we want to be persistent, but there are those moments where the Lord is like, okay, I've heard you. I've heard you. And I have those things in my life that I would like to see the Lord change and, and, and move about, but I have such peace that for the way they are in my life, that I'm okay, I'm all right, that I know the Lord has heard me. And if the Lord wants to change things, um, I'm sure he, he still remembers my prayers. But there are the other things where I'm like, I'm going to keep praying for this. I'm going to keep praying for this. And that, would, I would say, is most of those things in my life. So, trust the Lord. Know that He's going to answer your prayers. Remember who your judge is. He cares for you. His eyes are upon you. He vindicates you. He is just. He knows the truth of all matters. And he is also waiting for wrongdoers to repent, which causes some of our prayers to tarry because he's working on them. And one day he will return and he will make all things right. What a day that will be. The Lord says he's going to answer and he will answer. And it is certain you can, be, you can count on it. But some of the things that we see him answer you know what, we may not see him at those things answered until maybe even in the next life. When the Lord fulfills those things, especially when we think of this woman who had an adversary who had done her wrong. And some of your adversaries, some of your enemies, you will not see and they will not be dealt with until another time. Because the Lord is tearing and there will be a day of judgment so we just got to trust the Lord. But, I mean, I am happy to let God do what he wants to do in my life. I, you know, I, I don't want to get it my way and miss out on what God has for me. Um, so I don't want second best. And as one of the youth, kids in the youth group said to me, um, when we were ta- was talking to him and he was thinking about dating this girl and she wasn't a believer, and I said, well, Lord, you don't want second best. He goes, What's wrong with second? It's a silver. (laughs) So don't think of second best as in, you know, gold, silver, and bronze. Think of second best as obedient or disobedient, right? And and so um, I I don't want to miss out on God's perfect plan for my life. So if I pray for something and he doesn't bring it to pass, I'm happy to wait until he's ready to answer it and to answer it the way he wants to. But Jesus says in verse 8, the end, he says, When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? I mean, you expect him to say, will you find people praying? But faith and prayer are, are so connected together, he, he just kind of surprises us and says, faith. Will he find people that are full of faith when he returns? Will he find a church that is praying and petitioning the Lord. When you conceptualize the modern church in a positive way, in a positive way, how do you describe the church? Not how should we describe the church, but how do we describe the church? Well, Bible studies. Well, we love people. We have a heart for the lost. Um, All kinds of opportunities to serve. All of those things are great. But where on that list do you find constant in prayer for the modern church? And this is the challenge, isn't it? Um, I, I, I'm grateful you guys have a heart to pray. Um, you know, 
Praise the Lord for that, that he's worked that into us. But we need to grow in this still as a church. I still need to grow as this, but we need to be um, the place where as Jesus, as the, when the Lord went to the temple and he saw what had happened to the temple and it had turned into you know, thievery and money changing. And he says, you know, the Lord's house is to be what? A house of prayer. And I believe that we, the church of God, the house of the Lord, should likewise be a house of prayer. That we're quick to pray and that we are constant in prayer. And that when Jesus returns, that he would find us praying. And so find those prayer meetings, whether it's your home fellowship, whether it's a men's Tuesday morning prayer, whether it's a Sunday night prayer. Um, come out and be a part of it. I, I, will, I will say this, that if you, if you don't come to the Sunday night prayer, you will be the last to find out what's going on in the church. Because we long pray for things long before it's talked about anywhere else. We call upon the name of the Lord, and we bring up issues, and we work through those issues in prayer. And, um, and just, I, the, I realize not everybody can, do, can come to that. But I'm just saying, this is that night. This is that time where we want to call upon the name of the Lord. We want to petition. We want to um, you know, ask the Lord for healings. And we want to ask the Lord for um, vision and for empowerment and all of these things are a priority for us as we pray on a Sunday night and it won't be long we'll be having another um, week of prayer at the end of next month I don't recall the date exactly but the end of next month October we'll be having a week of prayer make it a priority start scheduling it out now that you're going to be a part of it and that you're going to then enter into the Sunday night as well, because when the Lord returns, He wants to find His people praying. Yes, He wants us to find us evangelizing, but that's not His question. He doesn't say, When I return, will I find people preaching the word? He doesn't ask that question. He says, When I return, will people have faith? Will they actually believe me enough to work and move in their life and their midst? that they will pray. So as much as you can, make it a part of your life. So I told you two-thirds of our time is going to spend there. Um, actually, I'll say 75% of our time was spent there. Verses 9 through 14. So point number one is we need to know that the Lord will hear and he will act, and so we pray. And we don't lose heart because we know he assuredly is going to answer our prayers. Number two, we need to know the Lord justifies the humble. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. They trusted in themselves. That they were righteous and despised others. They trusted themselves and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. Not required by the law. I just do it just because I'm good. I give tithes of all that I possess. Not just certain things. Of everything I own. Not just the things that the law requires, but every single thing I own, I give at least a tenth. I give a tenth of it. And so I'm a good guy. I've got it all together. 
And then verse 13, he says, And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, which is a familiar, um, I mean, we in the West, you know, know, close your eyes, bow your head. The typical way to pray um, in, in Jesus' day was just to stand with your eyes lifted up to heaven, hands in the air. And so we see that he wasn't even willing to raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, the man, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And we can all say, praise the Lord. If we, if we will come in brokenness and recognize our sinfulness, the Lord says, I've got place for you. But if you come with a high mind and you think you've got it all together and you think that your good deeds will make you have a righteous standing before me, you're not going to find justification. You're not going to find your way in. Real quickly, Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as, anybody know what the word is? Debt. They're counted as something that you owe. If you're going to try and work your way into heaven, you're going to have to, you will have a debt at the end. But if you just come broken and saying, I'm a sinner, and Lord, I just, just forgive me. Forgive me. The Lord says, I hear that prayer. And um, as I like to say, is God cannot resist the broken heart. God can't resist. I mean, God is a softy when it comes to brokenness. But a proud look, an arrogant Man, woman, who thinks they've got it all together and they look down upon other people and they're disgusted at them because of their sin. Thoreau's like, yeah, I'm not into them. I'm not into the things they're into because they, they despise people that are beating their chest and saying, I have sinned. May we never, ever, never, never, ever find ourselves doing that here at this church. It doesn't matter if it's the first time or it's the 50th time. As somebody comes in true brokenness and repentance, that we would always be like the Lord, that we would welcome the humble, broken person in and say, there's a place for you. There's a place for you. And if that's you, listen, there's a place here for you. But more importantly, there's a place for you with the Lord. And just, if, if you're like, I can't believe it. I mean, just I'm a tax collector. I just I'm a I'm a repeat offender. Lord, forgive me. The Lord will forgive you. He'll have mercy upon you. You know, I'm never worried about the person that's broken and torn up over their failure. I'm worried about the person who's sinning and think they've got it all together. That's the person that's not right with the Lord. No matter how good they look, they may be even going above and beyond. They're fasting twice and they're giving tithe of everything, but yet they despise people because they don't understand that they themselves are a sinner. And so we need to know that the Lord hears and he will act when we pray. We need to know that the Lord justifies the humble. So if you're trying to clean yourself up 
so you can stand before God and say, I did it. You're, you're, you're doing the exact opposite because to him who works, it will not be counted as grace, but it will be counted as a debt that you owe. The more you try to present yourself to the Lord and say, I'm worthy of your love and your grace, the further you get away. Now, having come to the Lord through his grace and mercy, we live a righteous life to his glory and honor. Verses 15 through 17, and we'll close it. Last point, we need to know that we must be touched by Jesus. Very similar to this man um, in the parable, but he goes to the example of a child this time. But I think it's it's just kind of a slightly different angle, but it's the same point. Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them, lay his hands on them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. What is Jesus saying? If you don't know that you've got to come to me, you're not going to be a part of the kingdom. And these children being brought by their parents that I might lay hands on them and bless them. I know you guys are looking at this and like, hey, we've got a kingdom to build. We've got Rome to overthrow. We don't have time for diapers, okay? We have other things that we're doing. We're, this is the Messiah. We've got a kingdom, and that's what we're concerned about. So could you please, all you parents with kids, Go home. All you rich people, powerful people, landowners, come on in close. We need to talk to you. And that's, the disciples are still not getting it. A child had nothing to offer. Now, you hear me say that and you think, that's kind of harsh. But you've got to understand that we're on this side of the gospel. And what Jesus did for women and children and the outcast and sinners is so... We have a hard time even imagining what it's like without the gospel. Women didn't have a place. Sinners didn't have a place. And children weren't considered very valuable. Unless you were a child that was a male, then you could carry on the next generation. But really, it still was this, though they weren't valued. And so in three different exchanges, what do we see Jesus say? He goes, I've got a place for sinners. I've got a place for women. And I've got a place for children. All the things that are not esteemed very highly. See, for a Pharisee, what was an infant going to do to build his name and get his teachings and, and all of that out there? Nothing. I didn't do anything for that. And so the disciples looked at this and said, this isn't going to help. And so they said, don't have time for that. And Jesus says, no, I've got time for that. I've got time for widows. I've got time for children. I've got time for sinners. Let me read to you this quote. It is from James Edwards again. It's a couple of sentences and we're going to wrap it up. He says, How remarkable that the early church extolled Jesus for concerning himself with a nameless and faceless social group in the ancient world. The touch of Jesus was a tangible expression of God's unconditional love for the unclean, foreigners, women, and children. It, is also, it also became an essential characteristic of the movement he founded, sparing it from the incipient hierarchy and elitism, whether professional or ascetic, so common of religion. Another gospel would have resulted 
and not that of Jesus. Uh, me, another gospel would have resulted and not that of Jesus. And another church rather than his church had children been kept from Jesus and had Christianity been made into something for men alone. The Lord broke the mold. Everything that was devalued or didn't have a right value on it, Jesus did. I mean, listen, Jesus and his heart for women, I mean, it just, it's so different. Um, in another place, the same author says, he, he challenges, he goes, I dare you to search the ancient records and find anybody that extols and shows compassion for children the way Jesus did. So we, you hear me say they weren't very, you know, there's nothing they could do for you. And we're like, well, children are, they're, they're beautiful, they're wonderful, we love children. Yeah, we're on this side of the gospel, we get it. Because Jesus showed us the importance of the outcast, of those that couldn't bring anything to you and, and make you better or make you great. Because Jesus had a place for the outcast and for the foreigner and for the sinner. And so we have a mentality, we have a mindset and we need to make certain that, that we do. You know, we live in an interesting time and day and age where, I mean, really, I mean, the ball is on the tee for us to just to hit it out of the park. We love people. Well, how do we respond to, you know, uh, these, you know, the Me Too thing? And how do we respond to, you know, critical race theory? Here it is. We love people. Because our master loves people. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you look like or what you've done. We're not going to counsel you. We're going we're to help to see you be redeemed by the Lord like we've been redeemed. We have the answer for this hour. We, we're not, it's not like we don't know what to say. It's like, no, we welcome people, all people, no matter where you come from, what you have to offer us. And the, I, get, I promise you, even though a lot of what we see in the world is going on, they are not saying that. They're not saying that. And you can know that because just try and say something different than what they say. Try and be a person that looks different than what they want. And they will reject you. If you don't line up with what they have to say, I'm not going to do this. Now, listen, our Lord has told us how to come to him. Now, if you don't want to come to him, that's fine. But we're still going to love you. And we're still going to be kind to you. And we're still going to show grace to you. So I challenge you under the gospel that has touched your life and changed your life and made the church what it is, don't be dragged into these arguments out in social media and all the rest. Don't do it. You know, speaking only those words which will bring necessary edification and building up. That's a pretty limited speech. Pretty limited vocabulary. Speaking only those things that we're going to bring edification and building up. If it doesn't build up and it doesn't edify, it doesn't strengthen, then be quiet. I've got something to say. Solomon put it this way. God is in heaven. You are on earth. Therefore, let your words be what? Few. You don't have to respond to everything. Probably should respond to very little. And, and, and so whatever our response is, let's make certain that we don't misrepresent the name of our Lord who had a place for everybody. Amen? Father, we thank you for your son whom you've sent. And he is truly beautiful to behold, Lord. And his dealings with people, the outcast, with us.
And we thank you that you hear when we call. We thank you that you are there for us, Lord, that you don't push us away, but you welcome us in. And so, Lord, I'm sure as we've sat here and we've talked about praying and petitioning and not losing heart, I would imagine all kinds of prayers have come up to you. And so, Lord, we believe that you're going to answer them. And we're going to keep calling upon you. We're going to keep waiting upon you. Lord, it's you that we want our focus to be. Not our petition, but you, the person. And so hear the cries of our heart. Lord, hear the things that we have to say. But Lord, we believe you're going to work, you're going to move, and we just want to say we're not going to lose heart, Lord. We're going to keep on praying. And we want to be those people, not above and over anybody else, but Lord, we want to be among that crowd that is found praying and believing when you return.